For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Zach. I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm just super excited to be going through this next series with you. Um, Pastor Mark. Pastor Mark, this series was originally his idea. Uh, We're calling it Jesus the Greater, right? Jesus the Greater is, is the name of our series. Yeah, Jesus the Greater. And... Pastor Mark, you know, he kind of is his head baby and stuff, and uh, it turns out I'm going to preach it, and uh, I'm really bitter at him. <laughs> I, was, I was at the church for like five hours yesterday, just like, you know, my head banging my head against the desk. Guys, there's so much. There's so much. And, and we, we're going to be endeavoring just through something that I could speak about for weeks. Right, so that's why tonight we're going to be here for two and a half hours. No, just kidding. <laughs> Some of you are like, "I love God, but not that much." Like, um, but yeah, there's so much, guys. There, there, there is so much to be gleaned from what we're what we're going to be going through in the next three weeks. There's so much depth to how Jesus is riddled in all of the Old Testament. And 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 here's here's the thing, guys. Not you, but me. I love myself, right? I know you guys are all selfless and you don't love yourselves, right? Uh, but I really, 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 really love myself. And, and, and I'll, I'll explain just a few examples. When, when we're taking a family photo, it doesn't matter how my family looks. I need to look good, right? I need to look good. So I'll slyly ask for a retake or he'll maybe take it on my phone so he can have it on my phone. I need me to look good in, in my family photos. The most frequent visitor on my Facebook page is me. All right, it's me. I'm looking at my Facebook page the most, hopefully. But yeah. <laughs> Besides that one time in high school, it was just weird. Never mind. But guys, here's the thing. You see, I tend to look at every single life situation, and I look at it through the lens of me, right? I look at every life situation and everyone else's life situation through the lens of who I am. The, The lens of who I am. When, when my friends are even going through stuff, I, I think about me in the process of how I'm going to be the hero in this situation. We're always thinking about us. Sorry, I'm always thinking about me, not you guys, right? But I'm always thinking about me. And, and when I read the Bible, when I read about people like Moses, the great Moses, the mighty leader Moses, the mighty leader David, David and Goliath, when I think of epic characters like Joshua, when I, when I think of Abraham, when I think of Isaac, when I think of Jacob, when I think of the heroes of the Bible, I insert myself into their story. I insert myself into their story. I insert myself into Moses' story. Oh, Moses was called to free the people of Israel. How am I called to free people? David and Goliath. David faced this mighty Goliath. How am I David and what's my Goliath? My situations are Goliath and I am David. And with the power of God, I shall overcome. This is no doubt how how some of us have been brought up in the Bible stories of old. We are the Noahs. We are the Davids. We are the Moseses. And just as I look at a family photo and I'm looking, how do I look in this picture? So we look at the Bible and we're like, where's me? Where's me? 
And we're going to be going through this three-week series called Jesus the Greater. We're going to be looking at three characters in the Bible. Two probably known to you, one probably not so known. We're going to be going through three characters. Tonight we're going to be going through Moses. Next week we're going to be going through David's story. And then the third week we're going to be going through a prophet by the name of Hosea. And these three men, these men were all known as heroes of the Bible for different reasons. But listen, listen to this. They are deemed heroes of the Bible, heroes of old, people we look to and admire. But they are but a shadow cast before us that we may look upon the glory of the image of Christ. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the greater David. Jesus is the greater Hosea. Jesus the greater is all about how the Bible is not about us. It's about Jesus. The Bible's not about us. It's for us, but it's about Christ. It's about Christ. And so, listen, we don't set the captives free. Moses didn't set the captives free. It's Jesus. It is an image of Jesus. We are not David in our situations, Goliath. No, sin is Goliath, and David is Jesus. You see, we don't insert ourselves into the heroes of the Bible. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. And when we, when we learn to look at it through this lens, we're no longer going to be so frustrated that we can't overcome like these characters did. Right? Don't you ever get frustrated when you look at the great feats of the Bible? Look at, now they overcame this, they did this great thing, and we get discouraged because what about my situations? But the reality is, Jesus is victorious. And through him we have the victory. The entire Old Testament is about Jesus. If you look at it closely, you don't even have to look at it very closely. We're going to make it very obvious, hopefully. But Jesus is the main character of the entire Bible. Whether it mentions his name or not, the gospel is riddled in every single Bible story you've ever read. And so, without further ado, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. This will simply launch us off into the story of Jesus through the life of Moses. Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to have it up here on the screen for you as well. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was, faith, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken afterward. But Christ as the son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing and the hope firm to the end. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We pray that your word would speak for itself tonight we would come to this realization that we are not the heroes of our own lives. You are, Lord. Liberate us from the pressure of saving ourselves. Liberate us from the pressure of having to save us from our own situations. Lord, we pray that you'd be sovereign tonight. Your Holy Spirit would inundate this room. We want you. We desire you. So, Lord, come upon here 
Anything that's said of me be forgotten. Anything that's said of you be remembered. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Moses. Now, a lot of us know vaguely the story of Moses, right? Especially after Christian Bale, right? Especially after Christian Bale just did an epic job being Moses. Like, I always pictured Moses that buff, you know? And so, and, and so we, you know, we, we've seen the story of Exodus, Gods and Kings. How many of you saw that movie? Not a lot of you. All right. How many of you read this, the book? Anyone? A funny story. Uh, when we were in the theater, I was in the theater with my little sister, Malia. And we were, watching, we were watching the movie, and all of a sudden, like, ten minutes before the ending, the theater, like, had a power outage. And, like like the entire room went black and it was like at a really intense moment in the movie and everyone's like, oh, everyone's just silent. And I'm just like, yes. And I just yelled, read the book. Right? <laughs> just read the book. <laughs> and everyone laughed like it's because, you know, it would have been a better ending anyways. It forced people to read the book. Everyone left. We got free tickets. It was cool. But uh, for those of you who do not know the story of Moses, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys an overview of the story of Moses because it's very important because Moses, besides Jesus, is one of the most spoken characters of the Bible, one of the most revered characters of the Bible, and, and we will learn that he is but a picture of Jesus, right? He, he, he nowhere compares to the glory of Christ, but he does constantly point to Christ, and point to his coming. But we look, we, we, we start in Exodus chapter 1 and 2. We start in Exodus chapter 1 and 2 where the people of Israel had found themselves under the oppression of Egypt. This is historically true as it is biblically. The people of, the people of Israel had found themselves under heavy, heavy oppression by the people of Egypt. Israel uh, started out as, as a very small nation of about 60 from the house of Jacob. And when, when they migrated in after a famine into the city of Egypt, they, 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 started, to, they started to work and, and live in this country. And they started to grow and grow and grow in numbers. But eventually, after their leader Joseph had died, shortly after, the people of Israel had found themselves under slavery and bondage to Egypt. They had found themselves under bondage. The people were enslaved underneath the foot of Egypt. They were forced into labor of all kinds. And, and people, when, 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 we look, when we think about slaves and when we think about how, how Israel was enslaved to Egypt, we, we kind of limit it, limit it to infrastructure, don't we? Oh yeah, they built the pyramids. We, we limit it to infrastructure, but if you looked at slaves back then, they, they served so much more purposes in a country. They would work as, as butlers and mistresses in the house. Men were forced into, for, for sports and entertainment. They'd be tortured for entertainment. Women would be sold into prostitution. Right? We, we, we see that the slavery back then was, was much heavier than just stacking rocks. You know what I mean? And, and, and so people, they had all these tasks and they were slaves. They were slaves for, for years and years and years. And all the while, as, as they were forced into the slums on the outskirts of Egypt, their culture remained. 
and, and their people remained, and they, they were enslaved under heavy, heavy, heavy oppression. But in the midst of oppression, all throughout the Bible, when God's people are under oppression, when God's people are under bondage and under persecution, every single instance in the Bible, and it's true today, under persecution, the people of God grow. The people of God grow. That's why I'm really not that concerned about the persecution happening in America. Really doesn't faze me all that much. Because do you know what? Under persecution, Christianity thrives. It's when we're comfortable is when we we start to lose power. The more persecution under God's people, the more they grow, the stronger they become. And so the the people of Egypt, Pharaoh specifically, he saw that the people of Israel, they were starting to grow in numbers that exceeded Egypt two to one. And so we saw that the people of Egypt, they were growing and growing in size. And, 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 And Pharaoh, knowing that if these people were to but just realize that they could seize freedom for their themselves... Realizing that they had this power in numbers, he decided to send out a decree to kill every child that was male in Israel. Every Hebrew male was to be put to death. Every Hebrew child was to be sent to the, into the Nile to be fed to the crocodiles. And so Pharaoh sent out this, this decree and soldiers would go in and they'd take the children They take them and strip them from their mother's arms. They throw them into the Nile. And so, and just like that, the people of Israel completely obliterated. You see, and a woman by the name of Jochebed hid her son that she had for three months, not parting with her child, refusing to part with him. She hid him for three months, but finally when when the baby got too big to hide, When the inevitability of hiding her son just, she knew that eventually she'd be found out. She she made this basket and weaved it and she, she put her baby in the basket right near where Pharaoh's daughter would bathe. And she sent it down the stream. She sent her son down the stream. And where Pharaoh's daughter was taking a bath near the stream, she found this baby boy and she called his name Moses which means of the water, or something like that. And so Moses was raised half by Egyptians, half by Hebrews. Jochebed got to raise her son and got to uh, nurse him until he was a proper age where he could walk and wasn't so annoying and such an inconvenience for his pampered Egyptian mother to handle. And so Moses was raised by Egyptians. He was raised by Egyptians. He was, he was raised in the world of Egypt, in the culture, the culture that was sexually promiscuous, the culture that was violent beyond all belief, the, the culture that was all about greed, the culture that worshipped animals and, and pharaohs more than they would anything. And one day Moses, when he was, he was, he was a full-grown adult by then, Many believe, many scholars believe he was a general of the armies of Egypt. We look at Egyptian history, we see that there was a great, a great general by the name of Moses. And, and, and so by this time, Moses, he is an adult, he's walking and he's watching these slaves and he's watching a slave be completely oppressed and whipped almost to death. And he says, leave that man alone. 
And when the Egyptian taskmaster, when he would not relent, Moses killed him. Moses, out of rage, out of this deep rage, because he knows deep down these are his people. Enraged by what's happening to this man, what's happening to this slave, he kills the Egyptian, then he flees into the wilderness. He flees into the wilderness. He lived in humility as a shepherd because God needs to refine leaders into shepherds before he will use them. You want God to use you. You want God to do great things. You want to be a leader for the kingdom of God. You better believe God is going to put you in the wilderness in humility and he's going to train you how to be a shepherd, how to love sheep. He's going to train you to have the hearts as he had. Moses was a shepherd And it is no coincidence that Jesus later on would call himself the good shepherd. The good shepherd. We see Moses existing in the wilderness and finally he's called by God to go back to Egypt and free the people of Israel. He says in Exodus chapter three, verse seven, he says, then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God's saying, I've seen the oppression of my people. I've seen them under bondage. Their cries are not in vain. They do not fall on deaf ears. A cry from God's people is something very specific. Many times when you cry out to God, if you're anything like me, you've cried out to God and somehow in your heart you think that it's falling upon deaf ears. When in all reality, God is raising up a shepherd to liberate you, Jesus Christ. And so we see that Moses in Exodus chapter 12, he goes, he goes into Egypt He declares to Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, who the heck are you? I'm Pharaoh. I'm Pharaoh. I am a God. You don't tell me to do anything. And and, and Pharaoh's heart was continually hardened. And Moses, by the power of God, he, he sent upon all these plagues. God would send plague after plague after plague to oppress the people of Egypt but all the while, when, when, when we think that it was supposed to soften Pharaoh's heart, it actually hardened it. Pharaoh got increasingly more and more frustrated. But here's something that we don't usually mention when we're, when we're looking about the Exodus story. We see Moses, you know, we just have this big picture of Moses with his staff in the air and the people of Israel charging towards their freedom, all gung-ho, ready to be freed. But it actually says later on in Exodus chapter 14 that the people of Israel implored and begged Moses, leave us, we don't want to be free. We don't want freedom. We're fine with being oppressed. There's bread here. There's food here. There's comfortability here. Yes, it's oppression. Yes, it's slavery. But we're more scared of Pharaoh than we are for our love for freedom. And so we we think about Pharaoh's hardened heart, how he wouldn't let the people go, but there was also a resistance in the people of Israel. There's this resistance to be free. They didn't want to be free because slavery is all they knew. 
Slavery is the only thing they ever knew. And, and, and we see that, that though the people of Israel resist, though Pharaoh resisted, we see that he, Moses still carried out God's will. He still sought to liberate them despite their reluctance to be liberated. You see, despite their reluctance to say, yes, we want freedom, Moses carried on. Moses carried on. The final plague, after all these plagues that have hardened Pharaoh's heart, the final plague that Jesus, the God, would send upon the people was that just as Pharaoh had killed every firstborn son of Israel, so God would smite down every firstborn son of Egypt. Now, many of us look at that and we say, what a cruel God. What a cruel God. I would say, what a loving God who would go to such great lengths to save his people. To save his people, to liberate those he loves. To set captives free, what great lengths he would go. He is a just God. He's a powerful God. Get the whole concept of a hippie Jesus out of your head. He is an avengeful God. And he seeks to liberate his people at all costs. The final plague was taking the sons of Egypt. And you see, in order for the sons of Egypt to be taken, God would send the angel of death, which some scholars say was Jesus. I'm not going to hold to one way or the other. Either way, God sent an angel of death, an angel of judgment to go upon all the land of Egypt and take every firstborn son. And in order for the people of Israel to not fall victim to the angel of death, each household had to take an innocent lamb, they had to slit its throat, drain its blood, and paint the blood upon their doorsteps. If they had blood painted upon their doorsteps from the innocent lamb that was slain, the angel of death would pass over them and it would seek judgment on those who deserve it. Now, we're going to take a stop and we're going to take a pause in the story of Moses really quick. We're going to take a pause here. Many of you know the story already and what occurs after this, but let's talk about Jesus really quick. We talked about Moses' birth and his upbringing, and we talked about his mission, and we talked about how the people of Israel, they had to paint their doorposts, and they had to paint their houses in the blood of an innocent lamb. Jesus, you see, after the people of Israel end up free, spoiler, I guess, after the people of Israel end up free, like, dang it, ah, jeez. After the people of Israel, after they end up free and from the oppression, they finally make it into the promised land. They finally end up making it into the promised land. They make it out of Egyptian rule. However, they were still slaves. They had finally broken free from the shackles of the oppression of Egypt, but they were still slaves. Just because they were out of Egypt doesn't mean they were no longer enslaved. They were still in great bondage. They were in slavery all their lives before. They had no idea, they had no, had no idea how to exist free. They were still slaves. The scars on their backs still remained. They still hurt. 
The men's bones still ached from being reduced to animals for labor. The women's hearts remained broken from the cruelty of foul men that they called masters. The children still trembled in fear, wondering if they were going to be beaten that day or not. The memories of Egypt and the scars that Egypt had, had inflicted were still there. They were still slaves. They still lived in bondage. And thousands of years passed, and the people of Israel, those scars didn't leave. They still lived as slaves. You see... It was not under oppressors and under other countries and other nations were they oppressed. But these people were still slaves to their own sin. The vices, the shortcomings, the greediness, the lies, the stealing, the hatred that they held in their hearts for other people, the jealousy that they had, the lust, the lies. They were all slaves to their own vice. They were slaves to their own sin. Even thousands of years after being liberated from Egypt, they were still enslaved. They were still slaves, as is all of mankind still. As is all of mankind. You see, some people are slaves to the bad things that they, they just cannot stop doing. And some of you in here, you're slaves to the bad things that people have inflicted upon you. There's a past of hurt. There's a past of sin. There's this, there's this turmoil that you are enslaved to that, that disallows you to move forward in your faith with God. There is slavery still. There are still shackles holding you to the floor, unable to raise your hands to the Lord. There's still shackles on us as human beings. We are broken and fractured creatures. As Paul would say, in me and my flesh dwells no good thing. In my flesh dwells no good thing. And no matter how hard we try, we can't be perfect. No matter how many standards we set for ourselves, we can't seem to meet them. We always seem to fall short of the standards we make for ourselves. This is no, new, this is no news to you. This is the gospel. This is no news to any of us that we aren't as perfect as we try to be. We're not as perfect as our parents told us to be, and they're not as perfect as their parents told them to be. It goes back from generations to generations of setting standards that are impossible to meet, but there's only one standard that really matters, and that's God's. And God has set the standard of perfection, absolute perfection, and we unable to meet that as well, of course. So we find ourselves in continual bondage, digging our graves just deeper because we want this fellowship with God. We want to be in perfect relationship with God, but the cruel reality of it is guys, a perfect God can only fellowship with righteous people. And I don't know about you, but I don't fall under that category of being able to obtain this righteousness for myself. If you don't want a relationship with God, fine. You don't have to be perfect. But if you want a relationship with God, if you want to partake in all of his blessings, if you want to be with him in heaven, you need righteousness. You need to be as spotless as he is. There, you know, I, I've had a, many conversations, and, and, and I, I, I love saying this to people because it dumbfounds them. 
It started with a conversation between Dane and I, and I've gotten to use it in many conversations with people that refuse to believe that they aren't going to heaven because they're a good person. They're a good person. And and they keep talking about, man, I'm going to heaven. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And you simply say to those people, you would hate heaven. It's all about Jesus there. You would hate heaven. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus. You would hate heaven if, even if you went there because you don't want a relationship with God. If you want a relationship with God, I, it, heaven's the place for you. If you decide to reject him again and again and again, heaven's, heaven's not the place for you. You wouldn't like it even if you got there. You wouldn't like it. And, and, and so, so we see that in order to, we, we desire this relationship with God. We desire to have this perfect fellowship with him. We desire to be freed from all these shackles we have set for ourselves, but we can't. We can't. And God knows that. God knows that. We're in slavery, guys. We're in slavery. So God came down. God said, I love them so much. I'm, I'm willing to come down. I'm going to get down in the filth. I'm going to live in the sin. Just as Moses existed and lived in the culture of Egypt, so Jesus came down to live and exist in the culture of sin. He decided to be in this world. Just as Moses was raised in the world of Egypt, so Jesus was raised in our sinful and dirty world of slavery and oppression. Jesus lived a perfect life. But before that, when he was born, news caught to some wise men that, that, that this king has been born. The Messiah is here. And the king of that time said, my power is not going to be thwarted by some baby. Go and kill all the firstborn sons of Israel. Right? You guys see that parallel? You guys see that parallel? And Jesus and his family, where did they flee? Where did they flee? Egypt. When that decree. Right? You guys see it? You guys starting to see what's happening here? The life of Moses and Jesus is interwoven. Years pass. Years pass and it's time for Jesus. And he has lived in an entirely perfect life. Now, listen. Going back to the Passover... I'm sorry I'm switching over, but I'm trying to paint the picture for you. Going back to the Passover in Exodus, where the angel of death is passing over the people because the blood of the lamb is over their doorposts. The angel of death passes, the wrath of God passes, but you see here the death of the Egyptians was necessary for Israel's freedom. You guys understand this? If God had not smited down the Egyptians, they wouldn't have been able to leave and be free, right? They wouldn't have been able to leave. They wouldn't have been able to be free, guys. They wouldn't have been able to. It was the only thing to shut the mouth of the beast. The only thing. God had to kill the Egyptians in order for Israel to be free. So God sent his wrath. And to protect God's people from wrath, to protect God's people from the angel of death, an innocent animal had to be sacrificed and his blood had to cover them. Fast forward thousands of years later, we're in shackled not to Israel, but to sin. 
We're enslaved not to Egyptian taskmasters, but to our own vices and shortcomings and the sins that have been committed against us. Death of sin is necessary for us to be set free and have a life with God. In order for the people of Israel to be free, the Egyptians had to die. In order for us to be free, sin has to die. Sin has to die. The only problem is we're sinful. If sin dies, we have to die with it. But not if the blood of an innocent covers us. As the blood of the lamb covered the doorposts of, of, of the Israel's, Israel, Israeli people's houses. So the blood of the lamb covers us. So the blood of the lamb covers us. And to protect, protect us from God's wrath, an innocent lamb's blood had to be shed. You guys seeing this? Some of you, this is, this is no new news to you. But you need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. You need to hear, guys, that God loves you so profoundly much. He, he loves you so much. With such passion, he desires to lead you into the promised land, away from sin, away from vice, into fellowship and friendship with him. He desires you so much that he would die in your place. He would die in your place. And the blood of the lamb that was slain. As it says in John 20, uh, 1 29, it says the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Christ was crucified for you to release you from the slavery of sin, of vice, the wrong things that have happened to you, the sins you've committed against other people. the depths of your own heart. Though other people may not see it, you know what's there. You know the jealousy and rage you've experienced before. You understand the depression that you've fallen under. You understand the depths of your own heart and how you're unable to remove yourself from it. Someone has to save you from it. And imperfect people can't do it for you, so the perfect one, Jesus, has done it for you. In 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. With that blood, because Jesus took punishment, the wrath of God, just as the wrath of God had passed over the people of Israel so that they might be free from Egypt. So when we are covered by the blood, the wrath of God passes over us and the sin is killed in our place. Jesus put to death sin. And I'll close soon with this. If any of you want to turn to Exodus chapter 14, now that I've given you an overview of both Moses' life and the story of Jesus, in the short time we have remaining together, I want to read to you guys Exodus chapter 14. It'll be up here as well. What had happened is finally when the angel of death had passed through all of Israel, Pharaoh's son had been vanquished. All of these children lay dead. 
Pharaoh, enraged and heartbroken, finally said, let them leave, go. And as Israel had fled by the thousands out of Egypt, and they were going and they were seeking escape, Pharaoh changed his mind. He got every single chariot, every single horse, every single soldier he could muster uh, muster to go after the people of Israel, to go after the Hebrew people. And in Exodus chapter 14, verse 10, it says, when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have never been, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. At, at, at the very glimpse of freedom, and the first trial that hits, the first little incy-bincy sight of trial, they want to go back to slavery. They want to go right back to slavery. You see, Egypt finally changed their minds. They were in hot pursuit of the children of Israel, and they cried out to the Lord. And listen, this was not a cry that we, like, we have a cry to worship, right? This wasn't crying like someone hurt your feelings, cry out to God. This, wasn't, this, this is not a trivial cry out to the Lord. This is a type of cry out to the Lord where you're about to smash into another car on the freeway and you have that glimpse, help me, Lord. If you've never prayed at all in your entire life, you better believe you pray then, right? The glimpse of death. That was the cry that they had to the Lord because they saw the entire army of Egypt in hot pursuit. And they cried out to the lords. They doubt God. They want to go back into slavery because it's too hard to be free. It's too hard to be free. Here's the thing, guys. When you accept the liberation of Jesus, sin as Egypt is in hot pursuit after you. Sin is just waiting to go back. Your old life is waiting and trailing behind you, waiting to take over you, waiting to triumph over you. And you're going and you reach a dead end and there's nothing but ocean. There's nothing but open seas before you and you see this dead end and you start to question the God that you gave your life to. The second hardship starts to trail behind you. The sin that you thought was gone is now in hot pursuit. The sin that you thought is gone is seeking to triumph over you. Yeah, that's great that God brought us out of Egypt, but now look, they're coming after us. We should have stayed. We should have stayed. As I have heard many Christians who give their lives to Jesus, and it turns out it's hard. It turns out it's hard. A lot of them want to leave. They just want to go away because the sins of their past are still chasing them. The sins of their past, every, everything that they used to do, everyone they used to hang out with, the lifestyle that they had left behind, it wants them. It wants their life. And they regret leaving because they see a dead end before them. They see a dead end before them. 
In verse 13 of Exodus chapter 14, it says this, after they're crying out, it says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of our Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. And the Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. We look at the sacrifice of the cross, guys. We look at the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. If you've given your life to the Lord, we, we always look at the cross as a past event. We look at the cross as this past event, never to be remembered. Oh, yes, it took away the old man. It took away the old me. This is the new me. But when the old man starts to chase you, when the old man starts to want to take you alive, it's easy to just say, do you know what? I'm going back. But here's the reality, and this is what we need to understand as Christians. Because too, too long, guys, too long have we as Christians always continue, continually looked back at the cross, and we still look back. We still look back as, it, as if it was a past event. Thank you, Jesus, for taking away my sins. I got it from here. But here's the reality. God saves us from our past. He protects us in our present, and he prepares us for our future. He has done away with the past. He saves us from that. He saves us from the one that you once were. But in the present here, he wants to put to death the sin that pursues you. Right here, right now. And he wants to protect you and prepare you for the future. When there is going to be hardship. When there will be trial. Because the Christian life is life nonetheless. And as we all know, life can suck. Period. If you're a Christ follower, you're not a Christ follower. Life stinks. Life stinks. And so we look at Jesus as almost as if his, his cross was sufficient for our past sin, but it's not sufficient for our current sin. It's sufficient for who we used to be, but it's not sufficient for who we are now, nor to prepare us for who we are going to be in the future. And this was the fatal flaw of the people of Israel. Thank you, God, for getting us out and sending all those plagues. Now look at what God's done. Sent us to a dead end. We can't swim. Look at God. And when we look at these circumstances, this is when the Christian shakes his fist. These circumstances where there's a dead end, water everywhere, Egypt at our backs. When we, when we see no option out of the hardship... And we just see the sins of our past, the people that have hurt us in our past, and the things that we've committed in the past. When we look at everything, we're just stuck between a rock and a hard place. And we shake our fists at God. God, why would you liberate me from the man that I used to be, but you wouldn't even change my circumstances now? Why did you take me out of so much only to leave me deserted here in the present? We always thank God for the faithfulness of the past, but in the present, we believe him to be unfaithful? We believe him to be unfaithful. There's so many of us in here where we, could look at, we can look at past things that God has done and we praise him for it, but for some reason we're still afraid now. For some reason we're, we still doubt. We still doubt. And do you know why? Because we're looking back. We're looking at everything that's behind us. 
Everything that's done with. And, and I love it. What Moses says here, for the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. You shall never see them again. That past you came from, that life you left behind you, you shall never see it again. Period. You shall never see it again. Stop looking back. And I love it in verse 15. In verse 15, and why I brought it up a couple weeks ago. In verse 15, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? And you see, we got to remember, we think of crying to the Lord like this awesome thing. They were crying to the Lord saying, How dare you lead us here? It wasn't like a cry like leaning on your friend's shoulder cry. It was crying like, I'm going to slap you cry, right? That's the type of cry it was. It wasn't a holy cry to God. It was a spiteful cry to God. Why would you do this? And God says, why do you cry to me? Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry land. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. Hear that, guys? Hear that? You see, God could have just killed the Egyptians right there as he did before. No, 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 no. God was taunting them. God says to your sin, I dare you to take him. Dare you test me? See, here's, here's the thing, guys. Jesus isn't afraid of your sin. He's not scared of it. God isn't scared of those who oppress you. God's not scared of the situations you find yourself in. It's, he's not perplexed by it, like, oh, what am I going to do about this? He's in no way, shape, or form perplexed by your circumstances. He says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall run after them. He says, I'm going to harden their hearts so they run faster towards you. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. God is saying, why do you look back? Why do you look back? Why do you cry to me? Why do you raise your fists up in the air like I don't care about you? Don't you see what I've done for you? Don't you see the blood of the lamb that I have put over your doorpost? Don't you see the blood that I have shed for you that covers you? Don't you see that there is nothing bad I will ever do to you because I put it on my son whom I love? We think that for some weird reason, when something bad happens, when there's a bad circumstance, we think for some reason, maybe it's because God's punishing us. What a shallow view of the cross. God laid upon every single punishment, every inch of wrath onto his beloved son, Jesus, so that he may just show you blessing and nothing else. And so when the sin that Jesus has dealt with creeps at our doorstep, we don't look back. We press forward. God says, why do you cry to me? Why do you shake your fist at me? I've dealt with them. Move forward. Lift up your staff. Verse 17, I love what he says. He says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. 
God does not take those who pursue his people lightly. He does not take the sin that pursues you lightly. Neither should you. In Colossians 2, verse 13, he says, And you, being dead in your trespasses of your flesh, he is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. You see, just as God made a public spectacle over Egypt that pursued his people, so he made a public spectacle of your sin, nailing it on the cross, saying, sin has no power here. Sin has no power here. You know, we think that Jesus was humiliated on that cross. No, 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 no. Your sin was humiliated on that cross. Jesus remains triumphant because he rose again on the third day. You see, Moses brought them out of a terrible situation. We want a Moses sometimes and not a Jesus. Sometimes we want a Moses and we don't want a Jesus. We want a Moses to take us out of bad situations. We don't want a Jesus to change our heart. You see, Moses, he was, he was able to lead the people out of Egypt, but they were still in chains by their own sin afterwards. Moses only had the power to change their situation. They went from slaves to Egypt to slaves to each other. And, and, and many times, guys, we, we look at the bad situations we are and we're crying out to God to, to free us from these situations. As if God is a small God because our situation remains the same. Why, why didn't he change this as he changed uh, the, the people of Israel's situation in Egypt? Why doesn't he change my situation as well? Why doesn't he lead me out of, out of my bondage to, to debt or to other people? Why doesn't, why doesn't he free me from my situations? What good is Christ if he doesn't make my life easier? And so this is why we must look at the Old Testament. We must look at the stories of the Bible. We must look at the story of Moses, not, not as a symbol for our own lives, as in we need a Moses to liberate us. No man can liberate you. No person you attach yourself to will ever set you free. You'll find yourself in bondage to something. Always. You get yourself out of a bad situation. Just wait a little bit. You'll get yourself in another one. And so some people end up worshiping the Moseses of this world. Some people end up worshiping pastors. They end up worshiping church leaders. They end up worshiping uh, their spouses or their children or their parents. They end up worshiping teachers and leaders and, and politicians. And then they're surprised when they fail and mad and angry when they fail to liberate us from our situations. We want Moseses to free us from these, from these simple, simple problems that will go away eventually and then another will arise afterwards. But I'm going to tell you something. I want a Jesus. I don't want a Moses to get me out of the simple situations. I don't want a Moses to change my lifestyle. I want a Jesus to change my heart. I want my sins gone, not my situations gone. 
when Israel was out of slavery, they, they still sinned, they still murdered, they still stole, they still lied. And Jesus came not to save you from the peril of your, your situation, but the peril of your heart. This is why Jesus is the greater Moses. What Moses could not do, Jesus has done. Moses was able to lead people out of Egypt, but he was not able to part the sea. He was not able to destroy any Egyptian. Jesus is able to destroy your sin. He's able to part the sea before you. He's able to say, I will handle your sin. You press forward into my faithfulness, into my promises. That's when obeying God doesn't become this weird system of regulations and rules to follow. It simply becomes walking as free men and women. We're not from the bondage of sin, but we walk uprightly because we're no longer in bondage to the bad things we always find ourselves doing. That's why in Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I'm going to read that again. Galatians 5.1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And we're going to take communion tonight. And guys, communion is so special. Communion is something so intimate and something so special. And that's why Paul implored us to take every single time you meet do communion. Remember the Lord Jesus. Remember what he's done for you. And for those of you that you're not familiar with communion, you're not familiar with, with the sacraments, the bread represents that perfect life, that perfect life that Jesus led for you. He walked as a pure man, undefiled by the sins of this world. He was separated And it was that body that was nailed upon the cross that was beaten to an unrecognizable form. But but listen, guys, the brutality of the cross, though it was great, that was not the worst part of the cross. The worst part of the cross was that when Jesus hung there, when Jesus hung there as an innocent man, God said, he is innocent. Therefore, I'm going to take every sin, past, present, and future, that anyone in this room has done, anything that they regret, anything that they have done to separate themselves from me, I'm going to take that sin, I'm going to put it on my son's shoulders because he can handle it. I'm going to nail that sin to the cross and it will be dead in the grave forevermore. And that blood, the juice represents the blood that Jesus spilled. Just Just as the angel of death passed by all the houses that had the blood over them. So then when it comes time for God to give an account of all the unrighteousness this world has done, because guys, we don't, we don't want to worship a God that's kind of like a bro. You know? <laughs> we don't want to worship God's like, ah, yeah, come on in. Sure, you lied, stole, abused your wife. I'm a loving God, come on in. We don't want a God who fellowships with iniquity. We don't want a God. That's not a holy God. That's just another man. Because then God could pick favorites, right? No. God allows those in fellowship with him that are covered by the blood of his perfect son. Who have taken the bread and said, I recognize that Jesus lived a perfect life and he died for me. 
And then who who partake of the juice and they say, I'm remembering that Jesus' blood was shed for me and I know it is the only atonement for my sin. I know it's the only thing sufficient for me to have a life with God because here's the thing, when Jesus extends this cup to you, he's not just saying, hey, drink. He's saying, this is my covenant. Enter into a life with me. Allow me to give you freedom. Allow me to deal with the sins of your past. Allow me to prepare you in, in the present. Allow me to protect you in the present. Allow me to prepare you in the future. That's why we take communion. It is not some religious sacrament that we do just because that's what the church does. It means when we worship, when we say these words, when we sing to God, I am set free, we can truly mean it when it's coupled with communion. We can truly mean it when we look back at the cross and we say, this is what Jesus has done for me. He, unlike Moses, did not save me from my situation. He saved me from my sin. And that's why the minute they got on the other side of the Red Sea, an entire chapter of praise to God, just nothing but Moses stepping up and leading these people in worship and song and in chants and in poetry up to the Lord. And that's what we do here, guys. We worship God as as this declaration. Thank you for giving us victory and freedom. You are good to free us from so much sin. That's why we worship so passionately. That's why we raise our hands. We raise our hands, first of all, to say you're worthy. But second of all, look, God, no chains. I'm set free. I lift my hands to, see, no shackles here, no sin here. Jesus has dealt with it. And I could look forward to the cross. I could look back to the cross. I could look at the present to the cross, knowing that Jesus is sufficient in every single period of it. Amen? And so we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. And if any of you desire that, if any of you desire that relationship with the Lord, maybe you've been walking in church your entire life, maybe you've been exposed to the gospel your entire life, but only now do you really want liberation. Some of you are maybe like the people of Israel, who they were under the oppression of Egypt, but they they kept telling Moses, no, 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 we don't want freedom. Maybe some of you are like that your entire life. It's just been saying no to God, saying no to freedom, saying no to freedom because you like being in bondage more than you like the idea of being free. So we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. And we're going to pray corporately as as a church and we're going to repent corporately as a church. And for those of you that want to give your hearts to Jesus for the first time, for the second time in years, want to rededicate your life to the Lord, we're going to do that tonight. And we're going to pray as a congregation. So bow your heads with me and let's pray. Pray with me, church. Lord Jesus, thank you for freeing us. You are the greater Moses. You don't just free us from situations. You free us from sin. Free me from my sin. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. I want to be with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want slavery anymore. I want to be free in your name. I take communion in recognition of you and what you did on the cross and how you set me free. With everyone's heads continue to be bowed, if you said that prayer for the first time between you, me, and the pastors in this room, between you, me, and the pastors in this room, if you said this prayer for the first time, or maybe for the second time, but now you really mean it, just raise your hand. 
Amen. Amen. I see you. Anyone else? You want to give your life to the Lord tonight? Amen. Lord, bless these people as they take communion tonight. May we worship you as free men and women under the declaration and under the power and under, under the name of the Lord Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship, guys.